0: Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists well trained and experienced you can keep looking until you find someone that you click with they have customized online therapy they do offer videos but they also offer phone and live chat sessions so you don't even have to be seen you can only be heard what are you waiting for go to betterhelp that's h slash l p.com/stages and for our cast members you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/stages Go go go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by Better Help. That's H E L P.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie J Block and I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast
0: where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. I'm unmuted. I am here. Hello. Hello
1: Oh Hi. my gosh
0: Okay, so you know that feeling Where you're inching toward 50 And you're crisscross applesauce At the bottom of a very small closet For an hour to do a voiceover audition And then your hip seizes And you can't get out of the closet Do you know that feeling? <laughs> Love where you are now <laughs> Holy <laughs>
1: crap <laughs> getting old is so fun oh so many fun guests come to the getting old party i
0: know i read this little thing yesterday that said you know what one of my favorite childhood memories is not having a bad back
1: In 1990, I was doing a little improv show in Boston, and I heard the music to a new Broadway show called Once on This Island. And I would drive in every day in my terrible little car with the tinny little speakers, and I would listen to this young woman sing. And even through those bad speakers, you could tell that she had something in her voice that just went straight to your soul. Cut to 10 years later, I show up in a rehearsal studio in Los Angeles for Ragtime, and there she is. I watched her sing Daddy's Son every performance for two years and was moved to tears. She's truly a remarkable performer. She takes everyone on stage and elevates them to a place that they didn't even know they could get to. She won the Tony Award for Seelie in The Color Purple. And this fall, she is starring in the new Broadway premiere called Trouble in Mind. I'm really excited to see it. Please welcome my dear friend. Lachance. Lachance to stage, please. Lachance to the stage. And the crowd goes And
2: now she's crying? crying. I just put the mascara on, okay? I just <laughs> put it on. That was beautiful, Mary Lee. Thank you, my sister. oh My
1: friend, I mean, every single word of it
2: you know I knew from the moment that we were ducked under that table together that we were going to be lifelong friends
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that story of being ducked under the table we we showed up at the first day of rehearsal and it was a massive cast and everybody was doing those little like getting to know you games like oh let's stand in a circle and dance and throw the ball and memorize names and I cannot, I can't, I just can't. So I'm looking around the room and I see a stack of folding tables leaning up against the wall. And so I, I sort of tiptoe backwards out of the circle and I duck down under the folding tables and I curl up in a ball and I look down the other end and Lachance is down the other end, hiding underneath the tables <laughs> And she just looks at me and she goes, me and you, we're best friends now. <laughs> lifelong bond, lifelong bond.
0: Well, I'm privileged because I feel like I know the voice, and um, but I'm excited to get to know the heart of the woman and um, not only in this hour, but again, to take the trip this summer to Africa. I'm just beyond.
2: I'm getting so excited about that, Stephanie. And I feel like I know you through Mary Lee. That's how I feel like I know you. Because uh, I remember the first time we really got to talk was uh, we met at a restaurant in a museum a while ago. She was in town for It some- was a
1: fundraiser for an African school. That's right.
2: That's the first time we really got to talk. And so I'm looking forward to this too, because she loves you so much. So I'm sure I'm going to love you just as much. And we're just going to have a great time. And you're going to save me from gorillas. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm terrified. Oh my God. <laughs>
1: terrified. They're not going to hurt you you're going to fall in love with them. It's transcendental. It's going to change the way you see the world.
2: That's what everyone says. So yeah. I'm looking It's amazing.
1: To it's going to be great to all spend time together. And I haven't been able to spend much time with you lately because you have been so busy. Tell me about what you've been doing.
2: I'm so excited. I just shot a pilot um, last yeah. week. I shot a pilot directed by Malcolm Lee. I've been wanting to work with him for years. And so we shot that pilot last week. So we're hoping it gets picked up. I am, I was recently on, because of COVID I ended up having to switch and do some TV. So um, I did the blacklist with James Spader. That was fun. That was so good. That was so much fun working opposite one of my favorite actors.
0: For our listeners, can we know what season and what's the name of the episodes that you're on or episode or episodes
2: Sure, I'm in season eight. I start in episode five and I go through episode 14 and I play his love interest.
0: Is he a wild guy? Is he as, I like to say 11, there are some people that are 12 and there are some that are just 11 o'clock and James seems just 11 o'clock to me. Is he an 11 o'clock?
2: <laughs> he is, um, I would say he's 1157. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: fair, that is fair.
2: He's he has laser focus and he knows exactly what a moment should be. He should direct, I think. Um, And he's he he, he's very particular and and meticulous with regard to um, detail. Mm. Um, But but he was such a joy to work with. And we had such natural chemistry. So that made it super easy as well.
0: Was there a chemistry test of any kind, LaShans, Or was it uh, an offer, just knowing your body of work and knowing who you are and who he is?
2: No, I auditioned. I totally <sighs> auditioned. In fact, I did a Zoom audition, like we're all doing. I was debating even doing it because, come on, it's the blacklist, it's James Spader, and I'm, it's very TV. And I thought, they're going to hire some 35, 40-year-old white girl with, you know, long hair. They're gonna hire some different type altogether. And when my agent called me and said, they're very interested in you. I thought, okay, um, do they want me to wear a wig or are they gonna do something different to me? He said, nope, they want you just the way you are. And then I got the call and I was doing it. And when I got on set with James, he said, I'm, one of the things he said to me once we started working together was, I'm sorry, I didn't bring you onto the show sooner.
0: Oh, what a lovely thing to say.
2: Wasn't it lovely? He said, I'm sorry I didn't bring you on sooner. I think you're fantastic. And we just had a natural connection. And I, I did the audition in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that happened and the pilot happened and then I did Underground Railroad, which is a phenomenal series, if you guys ever want to see it. It's based on the book by Colson Whitehead and Barry Jenkins is the, is the director who won the Oscar for Moonlight. and um, And I'm currently working on I'm actually two things I'm producing and I'm also um, working on a new reading actually that I'm doing with Terrence Mann I think now people think that I'm a love interest for you know middle-aged white guys I think Jay Spader put me in a new new level of opportunity.
0: And now, like we said, you're in a new stage of your career. How does that feel? Can you speak to what that feels like or if there are any feelings attached to now being, you know, this hot love interest to the middle-aged white guy?
2: (laughs) Well you know it's actually kind of fun to be honest because most of my career I've not been and this is why I think things are really changing. I've not been the love interest. I've not been the sought after woman. I've been you know as as so many stereotypical uh, ways that we we see black dark women. I've been the servant. I've been the supporter. I've been the best friend. I've been the um you know the 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 subjugated i've I've been fighting, I've been the strong black woman in most stories, but now I get to be the girl that people are fighting for the one that they love, the one that gets to be uh the 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 one that you focus your attention on, the love interest. and it's kind of fun because I've never been in this position in most of my career, so I'm enjoying it, and come ah. on, parents, man, it's hot. Oh, yes,
0: I would say. And you know what? I hate to speak to ageism, but at a certain age, you know, that in and of itself, being like you just said, the one that people are vying for fighting for want the attention of it's it's rare in our industry when you say hey i'm 40 or above or 45 and above and that is part of my character development i'm wanted i'm wanted physically and Mm -hmm. sexually and emotionally and that's a beautiful thing to to drop into it you know
1: at any age well it's really true because i mean i remember when i had my son and a you know you're kind of you're in your your mid 40s you're not feeling like it felt when you were in your 30s you're all of a sudden you walk down the street and you realize people aren't yelling stuff to you anymore and it well i'm 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 on board with thank god for that i don't want that well and i used to hate it but now i'm at the point where i'd go to you know times square and take my top off just to have somebody <laughs> yell something to me but i remember <laughs> I I must admit that was
0: one of the reasons why I said yes to playing share one. It was a challenge for my own acceptance of my age, Where I am physically, you know, in this walk of life, Mm -hmm. being almost testing myself. Can I walk on a stage in one of these costumes with such confidence that an audience would believe that I'm not like crippled by my own insecurities about my physical appearance, you know? And if I can tackle that, then let's start this new. Chapter and so that was a big one. I was like, "Seb, I don't know, my husband. I don't know when this invitation might show itself to me again at this age. So if I can be a scantily clad, you know, pop star, rock star at forty-seven, let's make this happen. And if I can do it, maybe I can change my own frame of mind. And for a while there, I didn't believe
2: it. Oh, you are so hot. oh, oh
0: my honey. God. Thank you, thank you,
2: Stephanie. You was was amazing and beautiful and. You know, it's so funny that we, we, and again, this is conditioning, that we see ourselves um, in our midlife as, like you're saying, Mary Lee, like, why isn't the guy yelling at me? And this, this, is, this is cultural. This is American culture. You go to other countries and that is not the case at all, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in like West Africa and Ghana. The women of a certain age, the young boys are chasing they're, they want to, they, they're crazy about these women because they yeah. understand the maturity and they get it and the level. And, you know, I- yeah, Age is, age is honored. Age, age is, is honored, age, yeah. is, res, age is respected and, and viewed as exciting. And th- these are women that know more, they're better, they have more experience. And I think we're all changing. I think there's a shift, not only within our culture, but I think internationally.
0: May I ask, did it ever cross your mind when you were looking at these breakdowns and it was this limited, you know, sort of idea of who you could play, what you could play? Was there ever a conversation in your head saying, if this is all there is, then, uh, then maybe this is it. I mean, I've run the gamut. I've played all those roles. If I can't grow, if I can't be offered parts that will allow me to explore joy and explore a storyline that's just... Like you said, either the sexual being or the wife, or the but without all this heavy and pain attached to it, did you ever have that conversation that maybe this is no longer my industry?
2: What I've done is I've decided to no longer take roles like that. If they come my way, I turn them down right away. I don't do roles like that anymore. But as again, because of this shift, I've been offered different roles now. And I I feel that I see it. I am excited about it. I did make a conscious choice that I was going to start adding no to my career, to my vocabulary in the way that would support the view of Black women in the world. I decided to do that and decided no more maids, no more, you know, prostitutes, no more girlfriends, sidekicks, no more of those. If, if I don't have, if my character does not have a, a, a basic human rights that most of us do, she has love, friendships, she has work struggles if it if it if it had to deal with my race or had to mm-hmm. deal with the struggles within my race i did not want to deal with that we see so much trauma and 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 injustice being affected on black people daily that i think that's enough it's time to equal that story out and i made a decision a few years ago not to do it anymore so maybe the universe said oh okay now let's give you the now let's put you in a different, different light And I love it at this age, too. I love that that it's happening in my 50s. I love it.
1: When we really make a decision, it just, it shifts almost the vibration that you are traveling on, and you start to create change around you because you've just decided for yourself. You're not waiting for someone else to let you decide, and then it just raises the vibration, and then that's where you start heading in the world.
2: Yeah, I, I had a lovely conversation with someone that I met this weekend in Atlanta, and he said, um everything is in our imagination. He said everything, every single thing someone imagined how to make, Mm -hmm. and it came to be. So Mm -hmm. every, every single thing that exists in the world today came, started in someone's imagination. And he said, everything is everything. We have everything already. And if you imagine it, you can produce it. And it was the simplest way of thinking about future and a purpose, your purpose. And I, and I really, it resonated with me so profoundly. You know, there's a really interesting um, concept
1: called Sankalpa. And it's sort of like a New Year's resolution, but it's not. So in a New Year's resolution, we say, uh, I'm going to give up chocolate or smoking or lose weight or blah, blah, blah. And just in the wording of that New Year's resolution, it's a negative. You're not enough and you need to improve. So a Sankalpa... The change is, it's a, it's a vow between you and your soul. You don't share your Sankalpa. It's worded in the positive present tense. So you don't say, I'm going to have love in my life. You say, my life is filled with the love of present tense, positive. Because mm-hmm. um, if you say going to have, that's implying uh, a negative, right? You, you don't have it. So that puts negative out in the universe. And it's based on the idea that you already are and have everything that you need. You just haven't made space for it in your life.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: about going inward and making space inside yourself to receive, but also doing it in the world around you. So if you're looking, if, if it's true love that you're looking for, they say, clean out a drawer, have empty hangers in your closet, you know things like that, so that you're literally making space for this person to come and enter into your life. But then there are yoga stuff that you do to clean your inside closets, right? To throw away the stuff inside of you that doesn't work for you, doesn't serve you, doesn't fit you anymore, just like you're cleaning out a closet, which creates space. And then the power lies in, I get to decide what goes in that space.
2: Oh, I love that. I do think that that's what's happened a bit for me as well, though. I've made conscious choices to not do certain things anymore or receive certain things. And so I do think that's why I saw other doors have been opening.
1: Yeah, it's very powerful stuff. I want to talk to you about Black Theatre United, how that started. Uh, what spurred you to begin that whole movement?
2: Okay, well, back in 2020, on May 25th, when George Floyd was tragically murdered, I was very, very, very moved and disturbed by just like we all were, you know, as we all witnessed, it was a national outcry. The world watched it and could not believe that the inhumanity that was uh, dealt to this poor man was commonplace for us as black people. We know this. We we see it. We've known of it ever since, you know, the Tulsa riots before that slavery, we all knew about it. So um, I was interested that my community, the theater community had not said a word, had not mentioned anything about standing in unity with those of us in my community that were outraged or even shown any support. And I have been on every single platform to lift up, you know, LGBT rights. Uh, you know, I don't know, Broadway here is everybody Fights AIDS. I've done a million of those bread can speeches Um, We've all been in support of every other group, marginalized group in the theater. But when it came to black people as a group, we were silent. So I put a tweet out about it, about those feelings. And Audra McDonald saw the tweet. She called me, she felt the very same way. And she said, we have to do something. I was like, what can we do? And she said, I don't know. But let's just call 19 or 20 of our closest friends in the business and get together and brainstorm what we can do and be a voice for change in our industry. And that's how Black Lives Theatre United was born. We got on the phone, we called a bunch of our black friends who are uh, sort of somewhat prominent in the industry. And we pulled our platform together and that's how we got started. And now we've, we're have we doing amazing things. We've started a mentorship program with um, Williamstown Theater Festival. We um, We have a series of town halls that we host to teach about marginalized Black situations or to advocate on behalf of census on voting rights, um, on the biz- on business, the, the, the business of show. We're, we, we have a series of things that we've done. We're having conversations with theater owners, producers, creatives, unions, everyone to figure out what we can get on the books to, just to make sure that we have this change going forward when we return. And um, it's been quite productive and we've been very busy. We have a full staff now. Well, not a full staff, we're getting our full staff together. Um, And we meet bi-weekly and we have several committees and we're really just being effective and we're very happy about the work we're doing.
1: You know, it's really interesting because There's a lot of shows that have black casts and it's becoming more and more integrated as we go, but behind the scenes, there's none, there's not black producers. There's not a lot of black writers. There's not a lot of black directors. And so it's all the things that you don't see. And I think that's part of the problem is that people, you know, they, they see the award shows or they, they go to the theater and they think, Oh, what are you talking about? It's totally represented, but it's actually not at all represented behind the scenes.
2: The part, that's the issue that we face is that if I've done Black shows my entire career, because I'm Black, I've never worked with a Black director. I've never worked with, I've worked with one Black writer and that was the bubbly Black girl, Sheds her chameleon skin. Um, Even the Color Purple was written, the musical, by a white woman. So um, Marsha Norman, whom I love, but my point is, when you, when you take Black stories and have white creative scenes telling the Black stories, you're already setting it up for failure or you're, you're not sensitive to the, the, the deep, complex issues that need to be expressed through this Black story. i bumped heads several times with, on my last show with my director um, on, on Summer, let's just say that. Not that Des Mackinoff isn't a wonderful director, he is. But I'm a 50 something year old black woman telling the story of a 50 something year old black woman. And I bumped heads with my my white male director because he felt that he could tell the story better than me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I couldn't get to him and say, listen, I would never say that
0: right? My walk in life would not show itself in this way. And I am walking this life. So please listen to me. You also mentioned business of show. And that for me, the more that I've had conversations, it goes to the marketing. It's not just what happens in the rehearsal space or on the stage itself, but it's And beyond the creative forming of it, it's how is it marketed? How is it reaching different demographics so that they're sitting in the audience, casting directors, the PR people, it's all from the point of view of the white man or woman. And Mm -hmm. it just translates completely differently as to what we see as important, as to what we see as, you know, something that will trigger an interest. And I find that to be very interesting because I must admit you know, going in, doing the work, wanting to create, wanting to produce something very special and unique on stage. And you recognize these hundreds of people around you that are making the wheel turn, but you don't necessarily stop and say, okay, now what is it? And how impactful is what they do reaching the tens or hundreds of thousands of people that lead them to get into your theater? So I find that to be highly important.
2: Yes, there are, we are also, Black Theater United is also working to uh, work with the producers on marketing. You no, know, unfortunately, the, the way a lot of producers see Black audiences is, you know, they, they, they say, well, we're going to the churches. And it's like, you know, all Black people don't go to church. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely don't go to the churches that, that they're marketing to. So we're, we're also working on that, Stephanie. That's a great point. We are working on... Teaching these producers and helping them with with the understanding that you need to reach different areas if you really want to reach and get black dollars and black seats and market to black people. And black people don't only want to see black shows.
1: Right. Right.
2: You know, right. that's the other thing. I mean, we're interested in everything like everyone is. So market to us. And and I agree. Marketing is a huge part of it. But when you have three top uh, major marketing firms that are doing all the Broadway shows and they're all white, they're all the same system, then that's who you're going to go to. So we're trying to say, hey, break it up. Go to this press office or maybe try a different press office or tell that press office you're not going to hire them unless you reach different demographics in a different way.
0: Does your work with civil and racial justice, especially in the Broadway community, fill you in a similar way? Like when you put your head down on the pillow, does it feel the same way as doing an excellent performance?
2: It's different in the way that it's still so much. It's it's just a bigger ball to push up the hill. You know, Mm. we can we can I'm in the theater. So if I walk into any theatrical environment, someone most likely will know who I am and I will have a voice and people will listen to me. When it comes to racial justice and, and EDIAB, people have very, very, very strict opinions on what um, that is, for instance, and, and, uh, and they're not willing to be as flexible in certain areas. So we, that, that's the harder push. And and we're seeing some of it, some of it's a little ridiculous, honestly, because there are all these groups that have formed and they're demanding ridiculous things, some of them, out of anger or or just frustration from what's happened. And I understand it, but, you know, it's going to take some time to change the thinking, the deep seated thinking Mm -hmm. of so many people. If you you think that, you know, oh my God, LaShawn's can sing and she was amazing in this show. What is she complaining about? I'm complaining about the fact that when I go backstage and I tell a hairstylist that you can't do that to my hair and you won't, and they don't listen to me and they go and talk to their supervisor who happens to be white, who then says to them, well, this is what we think it should be. And then my hair starts to break and fall out it's because i need someone who understands the texture of my hair the fragility of my hair and how you cannot pin me every day in a certain way or else i'm going to go bald so it's just certain things like that 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 black people face in the theater all the time
1: and do you feel like now because There are so many groups coming out, speaking about so many different things. Do you feel like it's, part of it is just becoming lost in a sea of noise and in the cacophony, sometimes people shut down. So what do you do to make sure that you can ride out and still make changes in the end?
2: Just like we need food, we need water, we need air, we need to feel like we belong. And Black people have been trying to have this sense of belonging like everyone else for hundreds of years. So the noise, unfortunately, needs needs to get louder because Mm -hmm. the opinions are 400 years old and they're Mm -hmm. deep. And we have to change these opinions. It has to be normalized that Black people are just as equal as everyone else. So are LGBTQ people, so are Asians, so are um, Latinx, Everyone deserves a seat at the table. And I think what's happened is the dominant culture for so long has been the dominant culture and the dominant opinion has been the only voice and the dominant male opinion has been the one making the decisions. So that all has to change. And I don't care if it's a cymbal brass band, marching band, walking down every street every day, 24 Mm -hmm. hours to change it, it needs to happen.
1: Can you explain E-D-I-A-B for listeners?
2: E-D-I-A-B is Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging. Those okay. are, that, that, that's the acronym. And it's basically learning how to deconstruct how we think of race and inclusion and rebuild it and understanding the, the root causes of this uh, racial disparity. And it's, it's training, it's a training.
1: Should be brought into every uh, grammar school in the country.
2: It should be brought into every grammar school. And I think it's working there, but we in Black Black Theater United, we're trying to make sure that it's put in every industry, every department of our industry.
0: That's amazing. Amazing. And from the producers and the theater owners, are you getting really great feedback?
2: Yes. We are even speaking with casting. We're speaking with creators, writers, directors. We're speaking with everyone. We're speaking with front of house. And and um, everyone want to do this. They just don't know how. So, right. so what we are doing is we're creating a series of conversations and basically creating the opportunity to learn.
0: Gosh, I pray they take that opportunity, LaShawns, because I, I I experience so often people's intentions are so good. Their will is so good. And then you got to act, you got to actually do it, go out there and really, really do it. And that's, um, I'm really interested and I'm praying to God, they are going to take that action and make that happen when we reopen.
1: For people that don't know, your daughter is coming up right behind you uh, in this world. And you're once again making it a better place for your girls. Because for those who don't know, LaShawn, she is mama lion. Do not mess <laughs> with her girls. And she's managed to raise two, like not just good kids, but powerful, formidable, awesome women. Like, yeah. And
0: also for those that don't know, you and your daughter are the only mother-daughter team to ever perform on Broadway together. I mean, that's history making.
2: Yes, it's true in leading roles. We were both, there have been mother and daughter teams. Like there's been a mother, I think Adrian Lennox and her daughter Crystal were on Broadway at the same time, but her daughter I think was in the ensemble or a standby and she was leading, but there's never been two uh, women, mother and daughters leading on Broadway at the same time. That's remarkable. You know, I was so excited about that because I would leave my theater, my show got out maybe a half an hour before Celia's and I would drive around to her theater and sit in my car and watch her come out and sign her autographs. And then she'd hop in the car and we'd go home together. And what was funny is sometimes people would spot me sitting across the street in my car and they'd be like, there's LaShawns! And they'd come over (laughs) to the car. (laughs) And they would say, oh, my God, they would stick her playbill in my window for me to sign. I was like, I don't think she wants me to sign her playbill.
0: <laughs> Can I ask a big, nerdy, nerdy theater question, please? Your daughter's name. Is it derived from Celia, from um, the color purple?
2: No, 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 no. Celia is named after the brilliant uh, um, Cuban Afro-Cuban Performer
0: Celia Cruz. Oh, of course. Okay,
2: he's named after her. When I was, um, I'm a huge fan of Celia Cruz, and I don't, I do not speak Spanish, but her music ever it, it speaks to me. It always mm. has. And mm. when Calvin, my her her dad, and I were um, just getting together, and I explained to him how much I loved Celia Cruz, and that her spirit, I wanted, I wanted my daughter to have her name. our first daughter to have her name because of the power and beauty that I think the spirit of Celia Cruz existed in the universe. And he, he said, okay, great. Her name is Celia. And her middle name is Rose name, and that's my mother's name. So she's Celia Rose.
0: Who introduced you to uh, Celia Cruz's music?
2: That's a good question. Um, Well, I've always known who she I've always known who she is. You know, she's the Aretha Franklin of Cuba. Um, But I think it was a concert that I went to and she was one of the headliners. Years ago, it was a group of of black women performing at Carnegie Hall. And I went to the event just because it was Aretha and Jill Scott and all and Chaka Khan and, and then Celia Cruz was on the platform. And she was a standout to me. And did you hear who I said was on that list? Yes, mm-hmm. yes,
0: yes, yes.
2: <laughs> yes. She stood out to me. And I didn't understand a word she was saying. Every single time Celia Cruz opens her mouth, she is 100%. And she's so in the zone that I feel her spiritually. Mm. That's the only way I could connect to her. So she inspires me as an artist to always be 100% of yourself on stage. Blocking out any thoughts, any direction, just completely lining up and being in the moment. and And I wanted that kind of um that 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 approach to life, that approach to yourself and the way you exist in the world, sort of imbued into my daughter <laughs> through through this namesake.
0: So. when you leave the stage door at the end of the night, are you able to turn that off, shut your dressing room door? and now you're, you know, mama tigress or on to the next and hundred percent in whatever that mode is.
2: Yes. I would say a lot of it is compartmentalization. I would, I never thought of it that way, but um, I think it is. I also, when I'm on stage, I just love it so much that um, like you, I'm sure like the both of you, like we all do, we just love it so much that it's something that I just want to do so badly. And I want to do it so well. And I just enjoy it so much. Every time I walk onto a stage and and I want to engage with the audience, I want to get them, you know? I mean, that's a little bit of part of me is, too. I want to get them. I want to make them feel whatever they... Or I want to make them forget whatever it is that they were thinking about when they walked into that theater. I want to change how they, they think about themselves in that moment. I want to make them laugh or cry or feel or shout or be angry. I want to, I want to engage with the soul of a person.
1: What was the first show you ever saw that grabbed you that way? Like when you were a kid, what did you see a show that made you say, oh, this is what I'm going to do?
2: Um, I've been performing since I was six years old. So um, the, I would have to say it's the other way around. I, I had, I started performing at a very young age and I started to see the effect that I had on people at a young age. And so I wanted more of that. I wanted to continue to do that. And, and I had a friend of my mother's, one of her dear friends, her name is Gail. She asked my, she said she came to see me in some play that I was doing in middle school or, or junior high or something. And she said to my mother, you need to cultivate this a little bit more. And mm-hmm. so she said, oh, she's always been singing and dancing and acting her whole life. She's fine. She says, no, you need to give her some training because she has something special. And so I, I don't know if there was one thing that, that I saw that made me feel that way. I just remember, it's like a comedian, you know, the first time you get a big laugh and you're like, oh, wow, okay, all right. It's like, <laughs> that's what that can, I can do that? Oh, great, I wanna do that some more. Because it's, 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 it's rewarding, the
1: mm-hmm. feeling
2: that you can make someone feel good. And I, I, I was more addicted to making people feel good than I was anything at that time. But there have been several performances that I've seen throughout my career that I've thought, for instance, Patty Lapone as Evita. Mm. She changed me. She changed me. I thought that is the level right there.
0: This to me says so much because you just spoke of Black Theater United and how you were affected and how we as a nation in a world were affected by seeing George Floyd. But you want to affect change. And that's monstrously beautiful and important and really aligns with what we were just discussing for the first 15 minutes of this, you know, conversation. That's something.
2: Thank you. Well, I guess it does align when you think of it that way. (laughs) Because it is about affecting change and making people um, think differently. Mm -hmm. Think differently about themselves, about the world around them, about me, about the character that I'm playing. Think differently. Have a broader view. Mm -hmm. Look at my soul, not at my skin.
0: All right. We've arrived at the five questions.
1: Tell us something surprising about yourself that most people don't know.
2: I like to watch movies that 15-year-old boys watch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is there's a lot of potty humor (laughs) there.
2: (laughs) I love every Marvel comic. I am a big-time fantasy watcher. I I just have the the television taste of a 15-year-old boy.
1: So you must be very excited about your daughter's new job.
2: I love my daughter's new job. Are you kidding I'm such a fan of my. I've, I told her we can talk about it. She's, uh, my daughter is starring in um, a new Star Trek spinoff. It's called Strange New Worlds, and she's playing an iconic character. The series is taking you back to when Captain Pike was the, was the captain, not even Kirk.
0: So, a prequel to Captain Kirk?
2: The first voyage.
0: So again, again, under the guise of "I'm here for my daughter," you'll be attending every Comic Con
2: and being a 15 year old boy. (laughs) Talking about, I'm already thinking about what what cosplay I'm doing. Are you kidding? (laughs) Totally, I'm totally going as Uhura. So,
0: (laughs) Um, second question: Do you have a good luck charm or any sort of ritual that you use throughout your life? It can be for performing or not, but a good luck charm or ritual?
2: Yes, I have a mother's ring that um, I had made for me in New Zealand. Right after um, 9-11, I went to New Zealand. My first job was was a movie. Well, my second, my first TV job was a movie shooting in Vancouver. And my daughters were two months and almost two years. And I didn't have a mother's ring. And I found a local jeweler and I designed the ring and I told him what I wanted to be made of and the stones that I needed in it and he made it for me and it's what I wear all the time now whenever I feel like I need some strength because that was it was my my new my new family my nucleus and um, I pray before every performance um, I acknowledge the goddess and the god and the ancestors and you know our creator and I thank them for giving me the space and then giving me the talent and the health and I thank them for being with me because I think they're always with us.
1: Um, If you could have any talent or ability, what would it be?
2: Oh, God. It would be something technical. I want to learn. I I feel like I am so behind when it comes to anything to do with, um, you know, like computers and word. I mean, I struggle so hard trying to download a file (laughs) or open it or transfer it. I'm just the worst.
1: Which is great for Zoom auditions.
2: Oh my God. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I pay so much money for people to help me. But, um, yeah, I wish I had more technical um, expertise.
0: If you could go back to your late teen or 20 year old self, what would you say to her?
2: Late teen or 20 year old self? Um, it's not that deep. <laughs> it's not that deep. Have fun. enjoy it. Don't be so serious. Don't mm-hmm. be so serious. have fun. I was a very um I was ambitious like most of us are, but uh, but I was uh I was I was, was laser focused on what I wanted um at a very early age. and I did have fun. Don't get me wrong. I did party and have a good time like most college kids did. But um, I was I um, I, felt I worked really hard and focused and sometimes I didn't balance things out. I was I, my, it was a little off. I was more focused on work than I was on play, and I wish I had balanced a little bit more. Because now I'm making up for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I really need to switch the, the work a little bit more and stop playing so hard. You may be overcorrecting. I think that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm overcorrecting. I also want to go back to your previous question. I do, there is one thing I wish I had done. I wish I had learned how to be an engineer. That's something that I find fascinating, building bridges and civil. I I just, I don't know why I love um, learning about engineering and how things are built. Hmm,
1: okay, last question, very important. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be? And what would the cheeky little name be?
2: Hmm, if I were a nail polish color? (laughs) it's a good question it'd be something it would be rust the color would be rust
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and it would be called (laughs) it would be called um mother earth
1: Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) i love it okay so ladies, I propose that one night over a fire in the heart of Africa, we sit down and write sankalpas together and throw them in the fire, send them out to the universe. What do you say? Yes, I say, yes, 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 yes,
2: yes, 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 and yes, and yes, and yes. I'm so excited mm-hmm. about our trip. I'm oh, so i even it's, it's getting closer and closer, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I, I can't I either. I have to start shopping. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, LaShance. I know how busy you are and I, I appreciate you so much coming on and I just adore you and you, you are a incredibly special human being.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I love you how much. I love you. And Stephanie, I love you too. And can I <sighs> for us to bond?
1: The feeling is
0: mutual. So mutual. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you can rest today.
2: No, but I, oh, can geez. <laughs> I can rest tonight. I have a, I have rehearsal starting soon, but I can rest tonight. Thank you ladies.
1: Bye. Bye-bye. Stages podcast is sponsored by better Our theme song says love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, STAGES cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages and love where you are now. And now here's what struck a chord with us. Oh, there were so many chords that
0: were struck with LaShawn's. She is a powerful woman. Um, That she is. She doesn't force that power upon you. She's able to sit comfortably in it, but it's undeniable. The meter with which she speaks, the timbre in her voice with which she speaks, the gravitas that just kind of sits there, it it's not dressed in anything. It's just presented to you. And if you want to take it and take part in it, mm-hmm. it um, it is really something to behold and it is a gift to sit with her. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about age and I think, you know, all three of us being at this stage of our life, I was internally, well, and audibly cheering for her that she was in this place of owning her, her spiritual power, her sexual power, her all, all of it. But again, from a place of just knowing and humility, Mm -hmm. there's a difference, right? Between, um, confidence and cockiness. And Absolutely. sits in the, the confidence of it all. And it sparks something in me that I had heard. Um, it, I actually heard it in church. One of the pastors said, you want to be covered. I believe the exact quote is, cover yourself with the dust of your rabbi. But I take the word rabbi to mean someone who has knowledge and experiences and and intimacies that they're willing to share. And you do, you want to cover yourself in the dust with people who know more than you, who want to make you better than they were. And I think sometimes, especially in um, American culture, We don't live that enough. We don't impress enough importance on that. Sit with those who have come before you because they really do know more than you, whether you want to admit that or not. And I guarantee you, you will walk away a better, smarter, hopefully kinder
1: uh, person. You know, it takes humility to do that though. And I think we're, it's a very cocky culture. So we don't, we never admit what we don't know often. But one of the things I loved about talking to her, and I again, I've known her for a really long time, is that she she has made this shift in her life where she is no longer waiting to be chosen. Mm -hmm. She is choosing for herself. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Where she has decided, I do not do that anymore. I do this. And just in the energy of that shift, she's created this whole new avenue yeah. for her career God and the universe and listened and went okay okay we hear you and you're she didn't just ask
0: permission it, you are making a declaration this is not happening anymore
1: shows how powerful the mind is that when we decide we're going to manifest something and we get in touch with our true beliefs like she's deciding what her soul wants and then saying That's it. Every choice I make from here on out is going to support that decision. Uh, So powerful. It's a chakra five thing where every choice you make either supports or negates your decision to move forward.
0: And where's chakra five again?
1: Is it That's, in the, throat. That's the, the, the throat. That's the throat. Yeah. I mean, I've just seen the shift in her and I have a really funny story actually about uh, what happened with she and I maybe, oh my gosh, it was probably uh, maybe six, seven, seven years ago. I think what was going on was I, I had had thyroid cancer, but I didn't know, I hadn't been diagnosed yet. So I was not feeling well. And a friend kind of betrayed me. She kind of said nasty things behind my back. And I was really hurt because, you know, I I thought I was a part of this group and I really wasn't. And so LaShance had come up and we were at dinner. So I'm at dinner and I'm telling her this story. This girl wasn't nice to me and this is what she did. And I'm telling her the whole story. And I'm very heavy right now because, because I was heavy as I was telling her the story because of the thyroid problem, but I didn't know what it was. She sat there silently the entire time I was talking and just just listened and watched me. And when I finished, she goes, are you done? And I said, "Uh, yeah, she goes, okay, I want you to sit back. I want you to have a sip of that drink because we're going to have a come to Jesus moment right now. You're sitting here across from me whining about some girl who probably doesn't even deserve to be your friend. You're sitting there in that frumpy ass outfit. I don't even recognize who you are. You are to leave this table, burn that goddamn outfit, and you are to get your ass to New York, do a concert with me, and remember who the hell you are. And I was like, oh my God, I love you so much. Everyone on earth needs that friend. She was just like, you quit this little whining so-and-so across the table from me. I don't even know who you are right now. So- she kicked my butt right back into gear. Now, subsequently, we were starting to put together a cabaret and then I found out that I was ill and blah, 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 all that's in the past. But she kicks ass. Everyone needs her as a friend. Someone to look at you and say that. Right. She was the bomb. She's because the best. You can
0: go- She's allowing you to go there. She's allowing you to be sad, be depressed, but don't sit in it. No. Because if you sit in it, that's the end of things. I know that I've been quote girl lately, but I do want to read this because this came up on my Instagram feed. I believe the, the author who gave this quote, it's G O I. So it's maybe Goy Nassau Nassau, And it says ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. Don't let what's happening around you get inside you and weigh you down. And I was like, well, it's so clear. But yes, now that that image is there, right? The water is all around. We know that for a fact. Just don't let the water get in your boat so much that you're going to sink. She didn't let you sink. Yeah,
1: I'm a lucky gal. I have good friends. And you, my friend, are one of them. Uh,
0: Thank you. Thank (laughs) you, mama. I love you. I I love love you. And I love LaShawns. Love
1: you right back. See you next week. Bye. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. We'd like to give a big thank you to our assistant editor and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you, Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Ben Walding, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today.
0: We hope you come back next week.